chapter, no, episode five. So, um, sitting in my truck again, it seemed like it worked pretty good last time as far as the quality of the sound and even the recording seemed better. I, I was more comfortable with it. I'm sitting at the, uh, the recreation fields in Qualicum Beach. Um, I mentioned earlier that I coached all my kids. Uh, spent over uh, 25 or so plus years. I spent a lot of time on these fields. <laughs> and I loved it. Most of it I loved. Um, there was some, you know, I, I haven't gotten into that later uh, part about my story yet either but there was a later in my life I suffered for some from some uh, pretty severe depression and uh, even through that I still was coaching and uh, spending a lot of time with young people that had been a goal in my life when I was a teenager I had thought I wanted to be a counselor and as I grew into my 20s and got to know uh some counselors, and actually got involved in, in amateur counseling, I realized that um, we all, we all, uh, we all do that. We all share our wisdom. We all share our, our experiences, and it's part of learning. And again, it's back to that, that thread of, that I talked about before, like I kind of visualize it as a golden thread that weaves through my life, and I describe that as my uh, relationship to God and how God utilized experiences in my life to produce the man that I am, to to get me to where I am. And uh, uh, so today I'm going to share a little bit about uh, the beginnings of my uh, thinking. Um, processes, how I got to where I wanted to, to uh, pursue philosophy, and, and related to that theology, for decades, not decades, for eons, for hundreds of years, people have associated the two studies, philosophy and theology, philosophy, the love of wisdom, and theology, the love of God, are the both of them, the study of, of wisdom and the study of God. Those two disciplines uh, interact with each other uh, in a parallel reality. They they are like cousins or brothers and sisters or whatever. And um, in the days that we live now, people uh, cast off theology. They don't even acknowledge that they practice it. I've had many discussions with people who would say, "Oh, I, I don't believe in theology. Even you know, like I don't, I don't believe in God. So why would I be studying God?" Uh, I, again, and uh, upon deeper examination, I would question uh, statements like that, and that that's a philosophical statement uh, and a theological statement to say you don't believe in God. So, as as I progress with this story, you're going to get a bit of the idea of how I formed my way of thinking, the beginnings of it. Um, so I want to go start with uh, this, uh, the purchase of the property um, that became the commune. Uh, interesting, we were living on some uh, a, a property that belonged to my stepfather's father, so my grandfather, 
in Qualicum Beach, uh, right in town. He owned a couple of city blocks of raw land, which was all uh, zoned to be lots and is now. I mean, it's all little houses, little tiny lots and houses. And he built one of the houses there. He built it in the in 1970-71. He built it of recycled lumber or recycled materials, even nails um, back in the 70s. He was definitely ahead of his time. Some people would have called him a yuppie, um, which you can look that up if you've never heard that term before. Sort of an older hippie at the time of the hippies. Um, so... We lived on his property. We brought our bus up from Alabama um, and lived in that. It had four bunk beds, and my there was a little cabin uh, next to the property that my grandfather was building on, the lot that he was building on. And so we lived in that cabin. My folks slept in the cabin, and all the kids slept in the bus, and there was a little cooking area in the cabin. And a bunch of people followed us, followed me and Hoagie. Hoagie was the guy that I knew in... Uh, um, Calif- from Alabama and went to California with the 21 year old I don't think I said his name last time so they these people that were people Hoagie and I met followed us up here and uh, Hoagie was telling everybody come to Canada with us we're going to start a commune so like there, we ended up with all kinds of people following us and it was contrary to my parents vision Bryce and, and my mom that wasn't their vision so when they met all these people at the border in Seattle, uh, it was a bit of a shock to them. And uh, they were committed to Hoagie. That was it. So um, there's so many stories in there. And, I, you know, I, I want to talk about each one of those characters because they were, they're all characters. Uh, I mentioned Peter. He was one. And uh, uh, he's still here in Qualicum. I, I really do need to look him up. I haven't seen him in, a, in quite a while. We went different directions philosophically, um, you know, as I matured and he matured. Um, But anyway, we ended up buying some, like we spent that whole summer, that first summer when we came up here, pretty much all of it was, or uh, for me and for Joe anyway, was spent on uh, Wreck Bay uh, on the West Coast. And at that time it wasn't, the West Coast wasn't a national park. Uh, there was uh, a move by the MP, I think he was. He might No, MLA. I can't remember if he was an MP or an MLA. I got to know him later anyway, McDermott. Uh, he was involved in, he really wanted to get this park, a uh, national park set up on the west coast of the island. And now I, part of me says, oh, it was a good idea. And part of me says, what a, what a bad idea. But you know what? This is progress. We lose the wildness of everything as as we live on this planet. Um, but then after the summer, we came I, back. Joe and I were traveling around a lot, as in my memory. Uh, and the my parents bought the, the farm, uh, which we call the farm, and a commune was started there. Uh, when we first took possession of the farm, there was only, I think, Tui living there and probably Peter. Um... And Tui was living in his camper, and I think Peter was just living in a tent or sleeping in the barn or whatever. I don't remember. I think he was in a tent. Eventually, we got cabins, which is another story. Um, but uh, so he lived. They they lived there, and when we when we got possession of the property, 
we moved into this old house, um, really interesting, you know, uh, post-war uh, farmhouse, um, two bedrooms, a living room, and a kitchen. And in the kitchen, there was a little spot for a, for a dining table. So we put four bunks in the one of the bedrooms, and my stepfather and my mother took the other bedroom. So in the one we had me and Joe and Vicky and Jonathan lived. That was our our space. Uh, what happened when we took possession was we did a, uh, a, a the whole family took mescaline. So mescaline's a hallucinogen that's more. Uh, it's more, uh, it's milder than LSD. I imagine if you took enough, you would experience LSD type stuff. It, it is a hallucinogen. It's a psychedelic drug. And uh, so the whole family took it. It was the first time our whole family had done anything like that together. And um, my memory is that Tui did not take take it. And he was sort of the... You know, it's nice to have somebody that's not stoned sort of watching over everybody, and he was that guy. He's, he uh, just watched over us, especially with us kids uh, taking it. Um, I don't remember... I remember parts of the what happened during that that trip. Um, I remember relating to Tui quite a bit in the trip, and uh, we. Uh, I feel like we established a relationship from that. But another thing that happened was our family established a sort of a nucleus uh, kind of relationship. We were a we were a mixed family. Uh, we had Bryce and his his oldest son, and then my mom and and her three younger kids, and we were on this adventure to create a new life in Canada. So. Um, it was it was cool. It was, you know I remember Vicky in particular. I, I don't remember if that was the first time she took hallucinogens or if the the time where in in California where she was giving it inadvertently. I don't know if it was inadvertently, but she was giving it without my mom knowing and consenting to her taking it. Um, so that was not a good trip. The the acid trip for my sister. Um, and I was stoned on that one too. Yeah, and I think that one was after after the mescaline. So she was six. Um, pretty young to be experiencing those kind of things. But And my brother would have been 10. And I would have been 12. And Joe was 12. So I want to talk a bit about Tui, about some of the people that ended up being on the commune, because they helped, these people helped me view my worldview, or form my worldview, so to how I see the world. Uh, There was all different cultures represented in this this commune. It was really unique and interesting, and a lot of good things happened there. So Tui was a New York Jew. He was a Jewish man. I believe he was in his early 20s um, at that time. And uh, he had Jewish heritage. Interesting uh, culture and character. He taught us a lot about street life, uh, like growing up in, in New York. I don't know if it was Brooklyn. I don't know where it was. I don't remember him having a having an accent, Brooklyn. I don't remember any of that. But um taught us a scully we painted a scully board on the on the basement floor of the barn scully was a game we played with uh bottle caps so we all were into collecting um 
interesting bottle caps, and we had collections of them. I don't remember the premise of the game. Jonathan, my brother, may. I don't remember. I just remember spending hours playing that. When it was raining, we would be downstairs in the basement of the barn playing Scully. When it wasn't raining, we would be outside playing whatever, soccer or uh, bocce ball or all different kinds of things. Uh, then there was a Japanese family. There was Isamu Fusaku, and they had three daughters, and uh, they were down in the lower field. Isamu was a famous, uh, so I was told, I, a very famous or fairly famous Japanese artist. He was a painter, a carver. Uh, he made bamboo flutes. He uh, he did all kinds of stuff. He was one of the most artistic uh, people I knew, um, and his wife was pretty artistic too um, there was a couple of women that did batiking in my memory uh, Fusako was one she did uh, batiking that was pretty very impressive uh, most of the people on the property had artistic bent and craftsmanship you know so they, they were were taught you know Bryce was a musician a carpenter and an, and an artist uh, my mom wasn't but she was she was of the ilk of intellectual that like to hang out with artists. Um, and perhaps, I think she probably could have been a writer, uh, I, but she wasn't. She I don't recall her ever doing much of anything artistic, though I, she was very smart. Um, and uh, so then there was another lady from Denmark who came. Uh, she didn't come right away. She was the girlfriend of Mino, and I believe Mino may have been from Europe originally too. I don't know what his nationality is or was. Uh, I think he's still alive. From what I hear, he's alive and living in Berkeley, and actually he and uh, Fusako uh, took up because Isamo and Fusako uh, divorced, and, and Isamo went back to Japan where he later died of cancer. And their three girls grew up, and one became a model. I mean, I haven't seen these people in ages. These are just what I was told from my mom, who reconnected with them. Uh, Tui lives in Santa Rosa. Mino and uh, Fusaku live in uh, Berkeley. Um, so they're still on the planet. They may hear this, and perhaps I shouldn't be using their name, but um, <laughs> most people won't know who they are anyway. Um, so... Uh, there was also a, a Jap or a um, a uh, another uh, f a family from New York. It was uh, Charlie and Linda, and uh, Charlie and Linda were well. Charlie was Italian, New York Italian for sure. I think Linda was as well. Um, I'm not sure if she was Italian, but she was from New York as well. And they they were on the property. And then there was a couple. Uh, there was a woman that was. Uh, at one time, a girlfriend of one of Bryce's brothers, and uh, she came up and ended up living on the property. And she had a young, uh, young boy who was ten. He's the same age as Jonathan. And that boy, I'm not going to say their names because they, I, I am in touch with them, and I haven't uh, got their permission to, to say. But uh, the boy was a B, and uh, his mom was a B, <laughs> so we'll call him a B B. Um, the boy and, and Jonathan, my brother, became... I never asked my family members about using their names either, so I should probably do that. Uh, Jonathan and B became good, pretty good friends. And um, 
His mom stayed in stayed in the barn in my memory, and there was another woman, Caroline. Uh, I see her face clear as day. Interesting, uh, interesting lady. Um, so uh, anyway, all of these cultures blended together, and um, had a, there was others too. They had a, an effect on me and how I view the world as well as growing up in my earlier years in Birmingham in the uh, during the civil rights uh, movement which there's a lot of stories in that one that that era of my life as well um, so time goes too fast when I do 15 minutes so I might do another one right away because I have a train of thought and uh, maybe I'll post them both at the same time um, hopefully I'm got, I've got a song that I wrote a few months ago, uh, sitting at this field. I had a chiropractor's appointment that I was early for, and I came up to the field and walked around and some memories, um, swirled in my head and swirled around and I, I, uh, sat in my truck and I wrote a song. Uh, I have a, a bunch of tunes, just music that I have recorded over the years and I had one of my little recorders um, that had some some of those tunes on it, so I I was listening to them, and I I was inspired to write some lyrics. So we'll see. I haven't been comfortable playing it in public yet, but hopefully I can work it up before Saturday or Sunday and get it posted with this. Thanks for joining me again, and I hope to see you next time. <laughs> Oh, walking back.
Oh, it's 